Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Matic. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Matic. In this episode of the show, I am joined by my good friend JJ Zacharyson to provide a comprehensive guide to how to draft fantasy football teams in 2023. We borrowed heavily from JJ's draft guide that you can purchase on LateRound.com. The link to that is in the description of this show. Really enjoyed talking to JJ. I hope that you guys got a lot of actionable information from this conversation as I did. If you want to support this show, you can get bonus episodes on patreon.com slash takecast. You can also tell a friend about the show. That's always helpful. Or you can leave a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone. Very excited to welcome into the program my great friend, JJ Zacharyson of LateRound.com. We did this show last year. People liked it. Actually, JJ, uh, it was the uh, the third most downloaded episode of 2022. So people third, were into third it. Third most. Third, what, what did you have? It was like silver or something ahead of both, it? Something like both, that. Of the, both of the main event drafts, both uh, both of the main event drafts that we did were, okay. were the number one and number I'll two. Take people, it. I'll take people it. People love that's drafts. That's good content. Yeah, that's people good content. People love drafts. It's, it, it, I, I, I love drafts. Like I find myself, I don't listen to a ton of fantasy content, you know, but yeah. when, when uh, Peter posts, you know, his uh, main event draft with Sean, or whatever, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna listen to two hours of that. Look, I can't help it. It's the yeah, best. Yeah, well, it's that's because stakes are higher, right? And like you know that the people that you're listening to, you know, like like we I get questions a lot where people are like, Why do your rankings change from June to August when it's like a random player where there hasn't been that much information on that guy? And I really think that like psychologically, you know, as an analyst, when you're doing drafts, when you actually have some skin in the game and something on the line you're making decisions that you didn't think you would necessarily make. And so you just, like, for instance, I've been moving like Darren Waller up my, my rankings that I, you know, just a player who nothing's really happened Yeah, There's hype around him and stuff. But when you start to sort of think about these situations a little bit more, and then you realize, Oh, I'm drafting this guy more than I realized or higher than I realized I would. Then you change your rankings that way. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Like a, a great example. And, and part of it is, you know, like just the schematics of how the draft board plays out. Like right. some guys I've drafted a lot of, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm like their biggest advocate ever. Like a, a great example this year is Tyler Lockett for me. Like I like Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett is a, a perfectly cromulent wide receiver. I think he's a little bit undervalued by the market because of his new teammate JSN. But I, I never in the past have been a, oh, you can't leave your draft without Tyler Lockett guy. Yeah. But this year, I'm like, Tyler Lockett, wide receiver 33. 
yeah, like lock it my, in. I'm taking my it. high my highest rostered player uh, wide receiver uh, right now in best ball is is Tyler Lockett. So I'm with you. Yeah, because he's he's just uh he's just a really good pick. So uh, last year what we did on the show we're gonna do the same thing. Uh, we are gonna go through some of JJ's draft guide that you can purchase at LateRound.com. You can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. So wherever you're listening right now, and we're we're just going to sort of go through the changes in fantasy. If you have not done any drafts yet, you're not an underdog. You're not on DraftKings. You're not on Drafters. You you got your home league draft coming up in 10 days, and you're just looking to get reimmersed. This is the program for you. So, JJ, if you were explaining 2023 fantasy football to an alien – you were like, these are the most important points. You you got it. You 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 got like you got like four paragraphs that you have to explain. What would be your base explanation for 2023 fantasy football drafts? Yeah, I'd say that the running back position um dries up fast. Uh there's definitely a group of like super elite guys that, yeah, it's fine to get them and go after them. Um, but it really plays into, you know, a strategy that you know, I've preached, you've preached, a lot of us have preached like through the years and that's anchor RB, I think is just a very, very obvious go-to way to draft this season. Uh, but that's really been the way that people sh- should have been drafting uh, for, for many seasons. Um, you know, we're going to see uh, more wide receiver heavy approaches from teams this year. But I, I think that that's been overstated a little bit within the market and within the way that people talk about um, these wide receivers. Like we're basically seeing one to two more wide receivers get drafted in the first two rounds of a regular season long draft. I know it's way different, like an underdog and in best ball drafts, but in a regular, like your home league, what have you, uh, you know, last season was almost just as wide receiver heavy as this season. Um, so don't overstate that necessarily. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm really approaching things very similar way that I've approached it throughout my fantasy career, you know, over the last five or six years, at least. And that's trying to get a running back in the first couple of rounds more than likely as an anchor pounding the wide receiver position, maybe through re- like round six or round seven. And then in that round seven range, thinking about getting my my next running back and getting a couple of them, uh, you know, at that point in time, and then being reactive to the draft. And then the other piece of this is the quarterback position where, um, you know, we are, s- are coming off a season that was somewhat of an outlier uh, at quarterback and recognize that and know that uh, these early round quarterbacks um, you know, are being inflated a little bit. I think it's still okay enough to get some of those guys in certain settings, but uh, you know, the quarterback position definitely uh, is one where um, last season, you know, we, we see the market react favorably to what happened the previous season. And last season was a very, very good year for, for the big three quarterbacks. And that's what's being reflected in the market right now. And I think um, my, my gut reaction when I started doing drafts this year was that it was too much, right? That Mahomes, particularly Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Jalen Hurts were uh, re- overpriced relative to specifically when drafts opened Lamar. So when drafts opened, Lamar was, a, you could get him in the late fourth round, mid fourth right. round. You can't really do that anymore. Um, maybe in home leagues you can. Uh, in fact, like I think actually probably Lamar is probably the one you can get the best discount on in a 12 team league with your buddies because there will be six guys who won't take Lamar under any circumstances because they don't like him because yeah. he gets hurt. You know, there there's just sort of always like there. I, I know people have sent me home leagues for like last year, like, oh, I got Christian McCaffrey at the seventh pick in my home league because six guys were like, yeah. I'm not taking that guy because I've had him before and he got hurt for me. Right. Um, I think that in home leagues, if you can get 
any well, we'll start out at quarterback. Um, I think if you can get any of those guys in the third round, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, or Josh Allen, I think it's fine to good depending on how much better you are at waivers than your league mates. That's a huge right. part of it. If you are honest with yourself and know, you know, I'm I'm all right at waivers, but I'm not going to grind it that hard. I'm not adding, uh, you know, Miles Gaskin on Sunday morning for zero dollar bids in case Raheem Mostert turns his ankle. Like if you if you if you are maybe going to be not as good at you know getting flex starters or whatever, then I think that you would be better off with a you know a Burrow, a Herbert, a Lawrence, whatever. But I do think the scoring advantage in particular that those three guys gives, I, I don't I don't imagine it eroding. I don't really see Fields or Burrow or Lawrence scoring, you know, 23 plus fantasy points per game the way that those guys project to. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, you know, th- when I wrote the late round quarterback ebook, that was in 2011 to 2012. So I, I published it in 2012. This was when, you know, in 2011, we had some crazy seasons by quarterbacks. There was, it was the near lockout season. Um, and so the next season, the next year, everyone was drafting quarterbacks early. And I was like, well, I'm going to publish this ebook and say, don't draft these guys early, draft them late. And that year we had uh, three first round quarterbacks. We had Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. In the first round, we had Matthew Stafford and Cam Newton in the second round. And the difference between what went on that season to what's going on this season is the market is properly valuing quarterback rushing and mobility. The market understands now that, you know, not only that, but we've had these unicorns that have popped up over the last five or six years, like a Josh Allen, like a Jalen Hurts, who can throw the ball really well and run the ball really well. Um, But, you know, the, the, the big difference is that quarterback rushing is stickier year over year than quarterback passing is. And so there's less volatility. And so we have a better understanding of which quarterbacks are going to be good entering a season. So my stance on the early round quarterback stuff is that if you're in a casual league, if you're in a uh, a smaller league, a shallower league, like an eight team or a 10 team league, it's a lot easier to swallow that opportunity cost in the third round with these guys, because you know that you're going to be able to make up at running back and wide receiver by being better than your league mates or having a shallower uh, pool, uh, if you will, because there's, there's fewer teams. Um, And so your opportunity cost isn't as high. If you get that guy in the third round, I've gotten a lot of pushback about this because people are like, well, I want that advantage by getting Patrick Mahomes or Jalen hurts in a 14 or 16 team league. And the pushback to them then is me saying, you're not thinking about what happens at running back and wide receiver when you do that. You know, fantasy football is just as much about the players that you're not drafting as it is the players that you are drafting. So yeah, you are getting a slightly bigger advantage in a larger league with Patrick Mahomes or a Jalen Hurts, but you're also losing a lot more from an opportunity cost standpoint at running back and wide receiver. And by the way, when you expand your league to 14 or 16 teams, you're doubling the amount of wide receivers and running backs that are being started every week. Your baseline is shifting at a much more extreme rate than it is at quarterback, which is another reason why you should be focused on those positions early in those larger formats. So shallower leagues, you know, eight, 10 team league or leagues that are more casual in nature, where you know that you're going to be good at grinding waivers and, and uh, being able to find value late. That's when you can swallow that opportunity cost in the third round for one of those quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, I would say if I was playing in an eight or 10 team league, I would make it like the key part of my strategy to get one of those three quarterbacks and one yeah, tight end or Andrews as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. 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 Because, you know, I mean, there is obviously there's a huge gap between Justin Jefferson and um, Calvin Ridley, 
but there is much less of a gap between Debo Samuel and John Dotson in range of outcomes or whatever, you know, wide receiver, wide receiver 20 versus wide receiver 35, I think is, I think those bands are much narrower. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a 10 or eight team league or whatever, you're going to get Devonte Smith in like the mid third, you know, it, it's a, like you're, 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 you, that, that's why I talk about opportunity cost so much is because when you forego that chance to get one of those wide receivers, let's say in the early second round that we all love that, like one, two turn those wide, that group of wide receivers, you know, that next tier of guys will then go, you know, the, the Devonte Smiths, the T Higgins of the world, those guys are now going to go in like the mid to late third in these shallower leagues. So it's a lot easier to say, Oh, I'm going to get Travis Kelsey in the first, maybe, you know, maybe forego a quarterback. Maybe I'll be able to get one of these quarterbacks in the fourth or something like that, but you can still take on that cost. It's just easier to do it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So outside of those top three guys, I mean, I do really like betting on Lamar. I think Lamar obviously has a chance to be the highest scoring quarterback in all of fantasy. I mean, he could score the most points in all of fantasy. He has, you know, Todd Munkin there. He has, I mean, he's going to be playing with real wide receivers for really the first time in his career. You know, I mean, if you look at the guys other than Mark Andrews, the list of guys who have led in targets for the Ravens, you know, it's, we, we got, you know, Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson and Chris Moore and, and just a bunch of guys. Right. And now they have a full cadre with first round rookie, say flowers. Bateman is theoretically healthy. Odell Beckham's there. Even Nelson Aguilar is like a very fine fourth, wide receiver slash rotational wide receiver compared to some of the guys that they have had. Then we have Joe Burrow. Then we have Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert. And then there's like sort of a real tear break in ADP. How are you, if we're, if we're not super in on those quarterbacks in a 12 team league, you know, because the opportunity cost is super high. How are you playing the quarterback position? Yeah. I mean, I think Deshaun Watson's part of that group too. I, I, I think what, like I have Watson straight up ahead of Trevor Lawrence this season. Um, not that I think that from a median outcome standpoint, you know, like projection wise, Trevor Lawrence actually looks better for me than Deshaun Watson does. But I think from a true ceiling perspective, Deshaun Watson, you know, he's sort of like that that wall uh, where you before you get into players who probably don't have that that 23 plus point per game upside like you were talking about. Um, you know, with, with the, the big three quarterbacks this season, Deshaun Watson, the last time we saw him play a full season, he averaged 23.1 fantasy points per game. I mean, he was there uh, that year, 3.9 of those points uh, per game came via rushing last season. Those rushing numbers were there. I mean, they were still present for Watson. The difference was that he was a horrific quarterback. He could not throw the ball uh, at all, but I, you know, I think that we can give him, him a little bit of a, of a leash there knowing that, um, you know, he hadn't played football in like two years. Um, so all the stuff off the field, understand if you just don't want to draft a Sean Watson, I'm not saying that, uh, but I do think that he's probably the best value because you're drafting him at the bottom of his tier, right? That's, that's where you extract the most value when doing that. And I do think that of those players, he has just as good of odds, if not better odds, uh, of hitting that 23 point per game season because of what he can do with his legs. Whereas Justin Herbert, even though he is athletic, hasn't really shown that he's going to be that guy in the NFL. Uh, Joe Burrow, we know, uh, is capped by not necessarily running the ball more than like a Patrick Mahomes would. Um, and so you have in Trevor Lawrence, it's the same deal. That group, all three of those guys could have monstrous like touchdown rate seasons and have like an 8% touchdown rate. And none of us would be that surprised because the weapons are there and they're all very good quarterbacks. But I do think that from a floor ceiling perspective, Deshaun Watson is, is right there with those players and you can get him at more of a discount than those guys. And so he's the one to me. Uh, that I've been targeting most 
And yeah, he could burn me because he was horrible last year. Like we know that that can happen. Um, but the rushing is still likely going to be there for him, which is big. And we know that that's how these guys really hit that good floor ceiling combo. And there was weird stuff with his passing stats last year. Like they played like three games in like basically like hurricane, like level yeah. weather condition. I mean, that is going to be a problem again this year. Like, like sure. their, their stadium hasn't been moved. Yeah, yeah. It's Cleveland. Right. I, I I've said this on a bunch of shows. People are sick of me saying it, but like their stadium is built right next to a lake and the way that it's built means they get like this like awful wind draft into mm-hmm. it. They need they got to build a dome. I mean, that is a team that is a team that is crying out for a dome. Um the reason why I've not drafted a ton of Deshaun Watson is because he's about 15 picks more expensive than Anthony Richardson. To me, Anthony Richardson is sort of the skeleton key to how fantasy football works out in 2023 yeah. because if he has a Justin Fields rookie year, wasted pick right you're, you're cutting him and you're starting Kirk Cousins right but if he has a Justin Fields year two which is not good passing stats in fact quite bad passing stats but unbelievably good rushing stats I mean I I think that Anthony Richardson athletically so capable of a thousand rushing yards eight rushing touchdowns right like I mean that just feels like something he can do right away in the NFL it's really just a matter of can he be just good enough at passing to keep the offense on track, right? Where it's not just he's and, and, and sacks, right? So Justin Fields eats a bunch of sacks and that's the obvious comp that people are making. But Richardson was really good at sack avoidance at Florida. It was one of the few things he was really good at um, passing. Where are you at with Anthony Richardson? Yeah, what's crazy, man, is that if you look at home leagues or like fantasy pros expert consensus rankings and stuff and stuff like that, he's, he's free. Yeah, he's like QB 19 or something. You know, we're, we're also used to drafting, you know, like, underdog ADP is super, super sharp as we know. And so, you know, you're getting him at like QB 12, QB 13, uh, which is, you know, where he probably should be ranked. Um, But in your home leagues, you're going to be able to get him very, very easily. You know, you mentioned like the rookie quarterback stuff. I've actually found that rookie quarterbacks um, have, have done well versus ADP expectation historically over the last 10 years or so. Um, So that's just looking at, you know, at a, at a particular average draft position, how many points we'd expect a player to score just based on history. And these rookie quarterbacks exceed ADP expectation at a better rate than fourth year, fifth year, et cetera, quarterbacks. Um, and, and a lot of that's just because they get drafted later, right? Cause they get drafted lower. So their expectations are lower. But if you look at uh top 10 NFL draft pick quarterbacks, uh, there's been five of them since 2011 that played at least seven games as a rookie and then hit five rush attempts per contest. Those five, which, which I think we would say that's Anthony Richardson. He's going to, he's going to run the ball five plus times a game. He was a top 10 pick. Um, so he's going to join this group. The five quarterbacks were Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, and RG three. And three of those players scored 21 or more fantasy points per game. Every, all of them scored at least 17 fantasy points per game. So I think that Anthony Richardson has a pretty baked in floor at the very least. Um, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to have the passing numbers to truly hit like this absurd ceiling. But if you're thinking about it from the perspective of just like getting by and then having these spiked weeks and having these like multi-touchdown rushing or rushing touchdown games, hopefully in the fantasy playoffs, you know, I think, I think Anthony Richardson makes a ton of sense this year. He's been one of the guys in my draft guide to target, you know, since the beginning. It's just, I mean, for home league specifically, it's so obvious, like in, in, you know, more competitive formats in best ball, there is totally an avenue to him playing 17 games and failing as, you know, roughly a top 100 pick 
he goes it depending on the day and what site you're looking at he's right about quarterback 11 but yeah you're right i mean your cbs 12 team league with your college buddies anthony richardson is going way later than he should be and this is this is actually the classic 2012 uh 2011 ebook thing where it's like okay maybe anthony richardson sucks like just cut him and go pick up sam howell or brock purdy you know like it, it it actually you you can't and it's it's so funny because fantasy football has so it it really is so much more efficient um yeah i mean well 10 years ago anthony richardson would have like not been drafted at all in these yeah. leagues which is kind of funny but like for example trey lance's rookie year i if memory serves me i don't have the data in front, i think he got up to quarterback seven he was like the 65th overall pick roughly his rookie year and i mean we're not even paying that tax on anthony right. richardson which is sort of unbelievable given how intelligent the market has been i guess Honestly, I think the difference is no one had ever seen Trey Lance play, so they didn't really have an opinion on whether or not he could do it at yeah. all. But people had seen Anthony Richardson play good at quarterback in Florida and some awful quarterbacking of Florida. I mean, like, let's right. be clear about Anthony Richardson. He had some absolute stinkers as a quarterback yeah. and games where he didn't even run too. like there would be games where the opposing defense would be ready for him. You know, the edges would be crushing and there would be nowhere for him to go. Obviously, the the nicest thing about his situation is that Shane Steichen, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, designed the offense that turned Jalen Hurts into, you know, just, you know, I mean, Jalen Hurts, that that play, I always go back to that playoff game against the Buccaneers where he just looked so, you were like, they might never score a point, you know? Like, yeah. you, you could tell me this, this Eagles offense gets 100 possessions, they might never score a point. Um, and then, you know, MVP candidate literally, you know, six months later. So... Yeah. That that to me, like I feel, had Anthony Richardson been drafted into a Shanahan type scenario where I didn't feel the organization was all the way bought in on him, you'd you'd feel less comfortable. But it does feel like he is his gifts and his skills are appreciated by the organization. Yeah, agreed. All right, uh, super late round guys. Um, I like Purdy. Uh, and I like Sam Howell. Those are those are two guys I like that are like yep. stone free in home leagues. Yeah, I, I Sam Howell especially like last. You know, we're recording this the the night after uh, they played the Ravens in the preseason. He looked really sharp. He's been also you know one of the guys in my draft guide. Uh, I also have Purdy in my draft guide as a late round dart. Um, you know, I think that that it's it's changed a little bit, but like there's some allure still in certain settings for Kyler um, just because we know that the upside is still there to some degree, but I'm not, I haven't really, I, you know, so it's more of a, if th- you, th- if you play on sleeper, your league automatically comes with a default IR spot. I would take, Perfect. I would, I would take Ky- like, I know one of my leagues yeah. is in sleeper and I, and even players on the pup can be stashed there on the, the IR slot. So that would be a league where I would take Kyler. Yeah, exactly. So there's some settings and, and situations where you want to do that. I'm into Kenny Pickett this year too. Um, I, I think that there's a, a chance, you know, I, I think that a guy like Pickett, you know, someone like Hal has more upside, I think to be in every week, like single quarterback league starter than Kenny Pickett does. But I think Pickett's a really safe bet in like a super flex format where, yeah. you know, he's going to be a starter all, all season long. I think he's going to outperform ADP. You know, the Steelers have a lot of positive regression coming in terms of uh, how many passing touchdowns they'll have. They, they had more rushing touchdowns and passing touchdowns last year, which doesn't happen all that frequently. Um, and then, you know, he's kind of a, a low-key rushing, you know, mobile quarterback Konami guy. I mean, he averaged uh, 20 rushing yards per game last year. He had 3.2 points per game with his legs, which is a pretty solid number. We have 
good pass catchers in that offense and Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth. Um, you know, the offensive line looks better than it did last year. And he's a second year quarterback. There's gonna be a natural, hopefully, progression, uh, you know, as a player himself and as a talent. So I think I think Kenny Pickett is also someone that should be on your radar, especially in, in more super flex formats. But again, it's sort of like that fallback where he's likely not gonna get drafted in a lot of home leagues. Neither is like a Sam Howell. Brock Purdy might not either in a lot of home leagues. And so, you know, if you go after an Anthony Richardson and right away he's awful or or something happens, you know that you can rely on some of these guys. I think that the pool this year of young, up-and-coming, potential starter, every week starters in fantasy, it's greater than what we've seen over the last couple of years, in my opinion. And so from that, you know, you can feel maybe a little bit better that you can stream more effectively. Streaming's become very, very difficult with a sharper market over the last few years. Uh, like on living the stream, my other, my, my podcast I did with Denny Carter, uh, we, we put together a Frankenstein and we used to be at like QB five, QB six in points per game every year. Now we're at like QB 11, QB 12, which right. is harder, harder to match some of that production because the, the market's sharper. But I do think that our pool of, of usable quarterbacks is pretty decent this season. Yeah. All right. Let's move to running backs. Now only four running backs going in the first round of drafts this year. Uh, we have Christian McCaffrey, actually only three, right? Um, it's, it's McCaffrey, it's Eckler and it's, uh, it's Bijan Robinson. So that is a huge, I mean, that would be, you open up, you open up your, your, uh, app for the first time where you do your first mock draft and you're like, wait, the seventh wide receiver is going before the fourth running back like that. That can't be right. But right. that is on average the way it goes. Nick Chubb, I, I I guess technically dead twelfth at ADP, so it's probably a coin flip if he goes in the first round or not on average. Um, but yeah, it is nuts. And a rookie running back, you, you can have a lot of different takes on on Bijan Robinson. I am all the way in on Bijan Robinson. I think that they're the you know to quote Pat Corain, the legendary upside season is is so obvious there. Um, but running back, how are you playing it at the top of the board? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think that you hit a wall at running back sort of, you know, partially because of the the Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs situation. I'm not overly high on Derrick Henry this season, but I've been burned in the past by, by Henry. I wouldn't be shocked, obviously, if he like has a good year because it's Derrick Henry. Uh, but that line scares me. Their schedule to, to open the year is frightening. Um, so I'm I'm worried about game script. I'm worried about Tajay Spears there too. So I think I really think that the the line that I draw with where I'm at in my draft uh, and getting a running back in the first two rounds is that Nick Chubb Tony Pollard range. Um, I have Pollard one spot ahead of Chubb. Uh, so I I do like Pollard more than the market. I guess I technically like Chubb less than the market because I'm one spot lower. But you know I've gotten Chubb still. He's still in store for for a good year. Um, but those are the guys that if I can get one of them in the first couple rounds as an anchor, that's perfect. That's beautiful. If not, I'm really looking at other avenues um, and, and going with uh, some wide receivers in that range. Um, you know, I'm I'm not as inclined necessarily to get some of the, you know, I'm not really into like Najee Harris and and Travis CTN this season uh, where, where they go. They, they, they're at the top of their tier, if you will. And I want to get guys who are lower in their tier. Uh, to extract the most value. And I think there's a lot of players in the middle rounds this year at running back who can match that kind of production, the volume driven production that we're going to see from like a guy like Najee Harris. Um, and then, you know, Travis Etienne has plenty of question marks as a receiver and Tank Bigsy being there and such. So I'm really, you know, from a, from a build standpoint, if I can get CMC, Bijan, uh, Eckler, uh, Chubb and Pollard, those five, 
I'm cool with that. Otherwise, I'm mostly going with more of a, a zero RB build. My favorite start is, you know, pin the tail on your elite wide receiver, CeeDee Lamb, AJ Brown, Spawn Diggs, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, whoever, then Tony Pollard in the second right. round. I, I've got Pollard ranked as my fourth running back, but honestly, I if really push came to shove, I probably would take him over Bijan. Like if that was the if that was the market dynamic that you had to frequently make that choice pollard is i've done an embarrassing uh virgin number of drafts like probably over 500 at this point and pollard is my fourth most drafted player overall and my second most drafted running back like i'm always taking him over barkley always taking him over chubb um weirdly enough i've never liked derrick henry but i do like derrick henry this year because i think the price has dropped enough on derrick henry that back into the second round, beginning of the third round, and his playoff schedule is beautiful. He gets to play the Houston Texans twice in the fantasy football playoffs. And I think most importantly, the Titans, especially with the signing of Derek, uh, with DeAndre Hopkins, have shown that some of the fears about them, you know, not not being competitive, not wanting to win games, like, oh, we'll go with Will Levis or whatever. I, I think the Hopkins signing allayed a good bit of that. But really, my preferred running back strategy is one of these top guys were paired with an elite wide receiver with my first yeah. picks. I don't love going running back, running back to start. Yeah. I mean, but here's the thing. I do think that there are scenarios. I forgot Saquon also with that. It's more like a big six. I should have added Saquon in that group. I think he's, he's fine enough. I I, I have him ahead of like in a tier ahead of Derrick Henry and then sort of closer to, to Chubb and, and Pollard. So I want to include Saquon in that group, but I actually think that there's a chance that RBRB um, ends up being okay if you're in the middle of the first as your draft slot. Because if you're not able to get one of those elite guys, which I think, you know, sort of the the firewall there is like Devontae Adams, Garrett Wilson, where they go. Yeah. If you're not able to get those players, um, I'm not, you know, Jalen Waddle is fine. I, I like, I, I've, I've gotten enough of Waddle this year. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying negative things about him or anything, but I do think that it's hard in a, in a managed league to go Jalen Waddle over someone like Saquon, right? And so I if you're, in, I, I think I agree with that. If you're in a position where you get Eckler in the first or Bijan in the first, in the middle of the first, like if you're in that eight spot or something like that, and then you go on this wide receiver run in your league, or that that's what your league does, then all of a sudden you're staring at Saquon versus Jalen Waddle. I think it's totally fine and, and, and appropriate to go RB, RB from that position in that spot. Um, and I actually think that that could end up like, like, you know, we always look at at, at structure and, and how teams started when, when when we look back on a season in hindsight, uh, especially with best ball, right? To see what what builds were best. And I would not be shocked if this season, if we look back and RBRB has a really good win rate only because of what I just talked about, only because uh, people aren't necessarily reaching for that second running back and they're letting a guy like Pollard or Saquon or whoever kind of fall into their lap, right? Um, I think those are the scenarios we're going with two running backs to start makes plenty of sense. And then you get into that like complete, like just horrific zone of players in that like early third round where you're like, it's the guy I'm getting insane. here is the same as the guy that I'm getting in the middle of the fourth. You know, it's is just, it, it's a, it's an awful place to be. Like from Amari Cooper to Brandon Ayuk, like every player is the same to me. It's all like the same. They're, yeah, they're it's, all it's the tough. same. 
Well, that's why that's why I'm like I, I'm I'm gonna shoot for crazy crazy upside in that range at wide receiver, and that's why I've been pumping up Christian Watson so much because yeah, of course I understand the downside. You know, he didn't have a crazy target share last season, even when he was active and playing a full complement of snaps. Um, but we know that like like I, I approached my drafts where I'm like, am I gonna get burned by this guy? And Christian Watson's a player where he absolutely can burn the living you know what out of you. I mean, he's someone who yeah, uh, it can be ha- it can be Packers Chase Claypool. Yeah. Or yeah. Or it could go that he could, he it could go South. But the reason why it's so easy to go after Watson is because you have sort of that insulation of like, okay, in the fifth round, then I'm going to be able to get a pretty high floor guy, like a Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett. And then, and then in this, in the sixth and seventh, you know, there's guys like Brandon cooks out there who are totally fine, but they're maybe don't have that same type of like absurd ceiling. You know, I think that people are, are, are too focused on like, the round and the pick that you're you're specifically getting these guys without realizing the flatness of the position there. That's how it all. It's how it all works together. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um. So the thing that is different for me about running back in years past is that generally speaking, I have never liked the running backs who go in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. Like generally speaking, those for the last like two years, that's just been like absolutely do not touch zone. The market dynamics are different this year. One, because Jonathan Taylor was the number one overall pick last year. And there's just like, he might be hurt. He might be traded. He might hold out. Like there's like that crazy uncertainty there. Obviously I go back to the old adage that you are only 8.3% likely to win your league and 92%, you know, likely to lose it. So like, if you're going to lose anyways, you should take the picks that make it more likely for you to win. Jonathan Taylor, definitely one of those guys. Same thing in my opinion for Brees Hall. Uh, I think that the, you know, like I've heard the arguments the other way. Silva really likes uh, Dalvin Cook. We're going to get into this argument when we draft our main event team together, I'm certain. Oh but Brees Hall in the fifth round feels really good to me. Travis Etienne, I mean, Etienne, look at him as a prospect compared to Bijan Robinson who's going in the first round, like very similar prospects. Etienne hasn't really been used as a pass catcher, but I still think that's something that could exist. And even if he doesn't, he's got, I mean, he could run for 1,700 yards, like just as a rusher. I think he could average 100 rushing yards per game, especially if the market is already predicting this breakout for the Jaguars offense where Ridley's around two pick, Kirk is around four or five pick, Trevor Lawrence is pushed. Like the market is totally buying does, into the Jaguars. Does Tank Bigsby not scare you? I mean, so one, I think that every offense has a second running back that agree right I agree that, that needs to be that needs to be out there more frequently than it is the fact that like like when you know these moves that happen like with Ramondre Stevenson and Zeke and and whatnot like it's more and even Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook like when Dalvin Cook went there in my projections I already had Jets running back a, a non-Brees Hall Jets running back seeing like 200 to 220 yes. touches right yeah so we have to be cognizant of that for sure I totally agree with that And I think specifically with ETN, the fact that his competition is a rookie, rookies make mistakes all the time. Like, sure, they might really like him in camp right now. He might be doing everything right in camp. You get to week two, and he misses a pass protection, and Trevor Lawrence gets blown up, and and all of a sudden it's Jermichael Hasty because Jermichael Hasty's better in pass or whatever, but Hasty is, like, actually way less of a threat to take real touches away because ETN's just so much better than him. Like I'm, I'm not worried there. Now this next range to me is pretty dead. Aaron Jones. I don't really like Walker is fine. Like Walker. I don't think has very much pass catching upside. So I think that his ADP is appropriate. Madison. I'm not into at all. P 
Pierce, I do really like is because Pierce is sort of your classic, like early down grinder, but his actually very similar to ETN Singletary and Ogumbawale might just be so poor when they get the ball that Pierce expands his role on passing downs. Like I think uh, Nathan Yankee posted this the other day. Damian Pierce saw 3% of all the third and fourth down and five yards or more to go snaps in 2022. And in preseason, he's already played five of those snaps. So like maybe they're just testing it out, but if he does get that, that's a huge boon. Now the Sanders acres range, but like point being you, I can sell myself on way more of these dead zone running backs than ever before, mostly because the market is just drafting wide receivers. So insanely high but I think that really like, you know, up to running back 30, I can tell myself a story about, oh, that guy finishes top 12 at the position. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. My thing, I, I try to be as objective and strict with my, from a process standpoint as I can each and every year. And so the research that I've done shows that, you know, I, I think the running back dead zone argument kind of gets misinterpreted and misconstrued a lot um in the space because there's there's sort of two paths with the running back dead zone and two avenues that we should be looking at one of them being the opportunity cost side right you're getting these running backs in the third to sixth round when these wide receivers hit at a really good rate in those rounds right that's 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 the opportunity cost side is that the the wide receivers there are better than the running backs there right historically and then the other side of this is if you still look within only the running back position, there has been a drop off in terms of ceiling historically. Uh, when you get to like that, and it's convenient when you get to that like RB 13 ish range, like basically what you see in the, it's typically the middle of the third round. Um, but in that like RB 13 to RB 24 range. So your RB twos uh, from by ADP generally have not provided any better of a ceiling. They have a better floor, but not a better ceiling than the RB three types that you can draft in the seventh and eighth round. Right. That's, that's the, the, so, so my pushback with like the running back dead zone talk this year, because like, if you go on an underdog, like these guys are getting drafted in like the eighth and ninth round sometimes, right? Like the, the standard, like, like RB twos will drop that far. That doesn't happen in your home leagues. It's not going to happen in your home league. So that's, that's one piece to this, but running back dead zone, the, the concept occurs in every single draft that you technically do. Like, just because the opportunity costs shifts and changes the actual running back dead zone still is there because of the, what happens within the positions so that, that RB, those RB twos are still generally not great bets. My thing is I'm trying not to talk myself into these guys to a point of having heavy exposure. I think in best ball, it's totally different because spiked weeks and the way that things just work naturally in that way, I'm, I'm looking at it more from like a predictability standpoint and like a league winning standpoint. Um, and I do think there are some players like I like Rashad white a lot this year. I think Rashad white, uh, is someone that folks should just generally be targeting because when you can lock in a guy who's likely going to see a 10 plus percent target share in the middle rounds, those guys hit at obscene rates, obscene rates. Um, but there's guys like I worry about Najee Harris. I worry about Travis Etienne. I worry about even like a Damian Pierce, like who's who you said, I, I see what you're saying. I don't even disagree with the general analysis. I just worry about where the upside is necessarily going to come from. Um, you know, he's playing with a rookie quarterback. That offense probably isn't going to be that good. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of data that suggests that running backs with rookie quarterbacks don't break out at a really insane rate. They might 
exceed expectation by a little bit, but they're ne- never true, true league winners. Same, same deal with Miles Sanders. So, um, you know, I, I'm trying my best to be as level headed as I can about the dead zone, because it's funny if you go back and you just literally Twitter search running back dead zone uh, and, and last year's tweets about the dead zone and look at last year, people were saying the same thing. It's it's people, people are literally saying like, oh, this is the year that the dead zone doesn't really exist. And you look at last year's results and it's and really it still just exists. Yeah. You had, you had, you know, ETN was okay out of the dead zone, but you know, he, and, 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 uh, Brees Hall was fine out of the dead zone and Damian Pierce was fine out of the dead zone, but you should be targeting rookie running backs out of the dead zone. Those guys actually produce like late second round picks in 12 team leagues historically. So that's fine. Go after those guys. And then Josh Jacobs obviously emerged too. And he was a huge league winner, but the guys after that were, were bigger bet were better bets. I mean, in, in your, in your home leagues, Ramondre Stevenson went after the dead zone. Tony Pollard went after the dead zone. Those are the players that, that I'm still going to generally target as opposed to those RB2 types. Yeah. I mean, we did sort of bury the lead, but once you get to Antonio Gibson plus Gibson, Dylan, Charbonnet, Robinson, uh, Penny, not for me, maybe for other people. I'm a Gainwell guy. P. Ryan, a chain, Bigsby. I mean, Jalen Warren is like the best pick on the board. Elijah right. Mitchell, like Tyler Algier, Gainwell. Like, I mean, I think you can basically take Kenneth Gainwell and like have your running back too to start the year. Like it, it we we did sort of bury the lead, which is that pick 100 plus like every time you're on the clock, the best pick is going to be running back, which is like P- Peter Overson right. makes that point all the time when we're doing right. these main event drafts. And it, it's true because wide receiver drops off so dramatically. Exactly. You're you're like, do I want Kenneth Gainwell, who's like the passing down back for the best offense in the NFC, or do I want Tyler Boyd? You know, yeah, and Jacoby it's like, Myers. Or Jacoby something. Myers, right. right? Right. So it's, it's like, no, I want the running back there. Yeah, and look, I'm not saying like you – like, I think also with the dead zone analysis stuff is that people listen to people like me talk about it and they're like, oh, I can't draft a running back. And you can draft a running back in that area. That's fine. Especially in, like best ball is totally different. Like it's a completely different beast when you're talking about these players because you're looking at it from a week to week basis and you're not having to actually predict who's going to do well, who's not going to do well, all that good stuff. And they're, they're you know, especially if you're in a tournament setting where some of those guys are going to have good weeks. And what if they have good weeks during the fantasy playoffs? Like that's going to happen. But in your managed league, you're going to have more success pounding wide receivers in that range still this year. I mean, I I think this year, the wide receivers in that like Tyler Lockett range, uh, those players, I'm so into those players. Like, I mean, that now you're getting like more, uh, now you're getting like Zay Flowers in there too, who's great. Now Elijah Moore, there's a lot of upside there. There's just a lot of good wide receivers. And then you hit that wall, like you talked about. And then that's where I'd rather get those like, flex appeal with upside players like a Charbonnet, like a Jalen Warren, who you might be able to plug in and, and use in your flex and, and, and PPR formats, especially. Um, but then they have the upside of what happens if their starter goes down, you know, Tank Bigsby part of that too. And those are the players that I love to get as like my RB three and four, um, you know, with like a James Cook as my RB two um, and just have sort of this, like this, this platoon look for my RB two spot. Which is, I mean, I think that's a good strategy. One, it's a good strategy because it's an efficient use of your roster because running back two types are guys that can gain value by inertia, right? Because, right. Uh, because well, one, because of injury, and then two, I mean, like for, let's say, Jeff Wilson Jr. or Jalen Warren, they might just get more work because the other guy stinks, right? Najee, right. Harris, Najee Harris goes 18 carries for 38 yards three weeks in a row, and all of a sudden Jalen Warren's playing more, or... Yeah. 
you know, I mean, at the, the, the Miami running backs are wildly mispriced right now because the market's base assumption for so long was that Dalvin cook was going to sign there. He's yeah. not signing there. They have their guys. And now a chain has a shoulder injury and he was playing in the second quarter as a punt gunner on special teams. Like I think a chain is going to play this year, but I don't think it's going to be into like week eight when his role becomes really valuable. And you, so you just took Jeff Wilson jr. At running back 55 and you got like two months of, 13.2 PPR points per game or whatever. Yeah. And I've done a lot of historical research and an ADP trend research that says that if you can find an ambiguous backfield where all of the running backs are going late like that, you should be throwing darts to that backfield. You can make the argument too. I haven't invested as much in Chicago as I have Miami, but Chicago is a backfield also that you can throw darts at. I, I mean, especially at, to me, it's like Khalil Herbert and Roshan. I haven't really done much with Foreman because I, I just don't think the upside is nearly as as evident as the other two running backs there. But throw darts there. Uh, it it makes plenty of sense to to target those types of ambiguous backfields because they're being priced down because we don't know who's going to emerge and everyone's freaked out about uh, things from a projection standpoint. But guys get hurt. Guys just play better. Um, you know, what if Roshan Johnson really is the best pass blocking back on that team and he can play third downs and oh, all of a sudden he's really got an early downs too. I mean, there's, there's, there's tons of outs for those players to really emerge from their backfields. The, the best example and the easiest example to go to was the, the Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones thing uh, a few years ago with, with Tampa Bay, where, you know, Fournette and Jones were basically like back to back in ADP for a while. Leonard Fournette ended up being a league winning player. Ronald Jones did not. And the reason they were being drafted where they were being drafted uh, is because people didn't know who was the RB1 on that team. And so they get scared off. They're like, oh, I don't know who it's going to be. This isn't clear. No backfield is clear cut. Even the the Steelers and the Jags and these and the Patriots, like these, these backfields who have good running backs, decent enough running backs, they're, they're still not clear cut. We don't know exactly how things are going to play out. So use that to your advantage. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that is uh that is a really good, that is a really good point. Um, all right, so let's move into wide receiver strategy. I would say more than any other position, figuring out a wide receiver strategy, it's the most important this year. It's the most expensive wide receivers have ever been, even in more casual formats, even in you're gonna open up your your uh your ESPN league with your buddies and you're gonna be like, wait, how many wide receivers are gone by pick 30? You're like not gonna believe it. Um so it is. I I think that obviously I think you can start wide receiver, wide receiver. I think it's fine. Um, you know, like let's say for example, you start Cooper Cup, Chris Olave, Ramondre Stevenson. You know, st- perfectly fine fantasy football start. Um, so how are you? How are you approaching it? How are you breaking down this this cost? Yeah, look, I I love the wideouts that go in like round five, round six, and probably a little bit even later in you know your home leagues or your uh you know your your office leagues, what have you. Um, you know when when you get into like the the Tyler Lockett range, um, you know you get guys like Lockett and and Deontay Johnson, who I've I've drafted a ton. If you want like a blanket way of looking at this, the research I've done shows that the 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 wide receivers who outperform ADP best are rookies. And this is in the middle rounds where where that's the money zone for these running backs. Rookie wide receivers, second year wide receivers, fifth year wide receivers, and sixth year wide receivers. Now, why fifth and sixth year? Uh, part of that is change of scenery. Um, yeah. part part of that is they're they're aged. I think they're just unsexy picks. I think Deontay Johnson is a perfect example of that, where it's a it's an unsexy selection. Um, but he's in a in a a role where he's gonna see a lot of volume. You know, Christian Kirk was that last year. 
where there's a new a change of scenery for him because their rookie deals are up and they go somewhere else. Um, so these these five these year five and year six wide receivers have actually been really really good bets historically. What you kind of want to avoid in the middle rounds, especially if they weren't good prospects. If they were good prospects, it's okay to still go after them. But in the middle rounds, you want to avoid year three and year four wide receivers who are bad prospects because basically, if you think about this intuitively and psychologically, why are these wide receivers? year three and year four guys, but still in the middle rounds. Well, they probably haven't really broken out yet. They haven't really been like full-blown studs in fantasy or else they'd be getting drafted earlier. Um, but they're still in the middle rounds because people have some hope for them. You know, Gabe Davis last year is a pretty good example of this um, where, you know, maybe situationally things look pretty good for them. But if they don't have that baseline uh, prospect profile, I actually learned this this summer when doing some research, that's, that's a, that's a red flag. Like when, Robbie Anderson as a third year wide receiver was a middle round pick. Oh man. That should have been a, a red flag for us to fade him uh, because he was not a good prospect entering the league. That's why a guy like Elijah Moore, I'm cool with as a third year guy. You could honestly, you know, like anecdotally say that he's more of a second year guy, given what happened last year in New York. It was just a really, really awful situation all around. Um, but yeah, so I'm fading a lot of those types of players. Um, and I, I'm going after the, the, you know, Jordan Addison's Jackson Smith and Jigba's Zay flowers, even Quentin Johnson, who I didn't like a ton as a prospect, but I, th I still think you can throw darts at him uh, when he's going to be like your wide receiver four or something like that. Yeah. I mean, the, the sweet spot is uh, weirdly enough. It's when it's when the, the, a lot of those running backs that we don't really like go, I mean, George Pickens, Jordan Addison, Jahan Dotson, Michael Pittman, yep. Zay flowers, Quentin Johnson, Elijah Moore, uh Elijah Moore is sort of an interesting case because he's a year three prospect that exactly. I thought was yeah but I thought he was really good I thought he was right. like a really good well prospect. he was he, and he yeah. is that's why that's what I'm saying like a lot of it, I, I did some research on this and there was there have been 17 year three wide receivers who've been drafted in the middle rounds uh since 2011 who played at least eight games and then I split that up by how they scored in my year two model which is a model that predicts how well they're going to do in year two and year three Seven guys were above the 90th percentile on the year two model. And all seven of those guys exceeded ADP expectation. And then of the remaining 10 players, uh, all but one did not exceed expectation who were below that 90th percentile on the year two model. So basically, if they looked good after year one in my model, uh, they're still fine bets as third and four or as third year guys uh, in the middle rounds. Again, it's the guys like when Robbie Anderson was there that you just generally, generally want to avoid. So. I think the other thing uh, with wide receiver is that uh, you probably want to be taking six or seven of them in a way that maybe you wouldn't have in your, so like, let's say you do have a kind of wide receiver heavy draft because, because wide receivers are pushed so far up the risk profiles of the guys. I mean, we just talked about it, right? Christian Watson, the risk profile, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, there is like, we all love him. We all think he's great. But there is the risk that he's playing like 60% of the snaps. Yeah, Drake London's another one. Drake London. Yeah. 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 So I do think taking, you know, backdooring some of these guys, some maybe some of the more boring guys, or even the rookies, right? I mean, uh, Jalen Hyatt, Jaden Reed, uh, Rashid Shahid for the Saints. And then, I mean, even getting super late, you know, Michael Wilson. The other thing is, and I, I do think, we all sort of just have copy and pasted the Chiefs results from last year to this year, which is that you're not ever going to want to start any of the wide receivers. Sam Sherman had this great stat that Mahomes wins MVP, leads the league in passing, and the Chiefs had three instances of 
wide receiver scoring 20 or more PPR points, right? It yeah. was it was Juju yeah. twice, Hardman once in a three touchdown game. And as of right now, you and I are recording this on Tuesday, August 22nd. The market is kind of into Sky, kind of into Tony. They're both roughly top 100 picks, pretty much, especially in home leagues, completely disregarding Rice, Watson, James, yeah. whoever. And I do think that basically if any of these guys, regardless of who it is, if it's Sky, if it's Rice, if it's Tony, I mean, I feel less optimistic about Tony by the day. Yeah. If one of these guys just demonstrates real skill, the the crazy rotational stuff that the Chiefs were doing last year, I mean, they were playing seven wide receivers and four tight ends in some games. Like, like stuff no one does. Because basically they were like, these guys all suck, so let's just keep them as fresh as possible. You know, right. like let's just have fresh guys running routes against tired defensive backs. I think there's a pretty good chance that one of these chiefs wide receivers is a real league winner this year. And honestly, I'm just making bets on all of them. Cause I have such low conviction, but like, for example, a second round rookie wide receiver drafted by the Kansas city chiefs without the sky Moore failure. And honestly, the McCall Hardman failure of years yeah. past that guy'd be a sixth round pick just regardless, you know, yeah, but, right. but rice I, is free. Yeah. Look, I didn't like Rasheed rice as a prospect. Like I, I, I didn't have him ranked super high, even in rookie drafts because of the inflation compared to the market because of the inflation of him landing in a Patrick Mahomes offense. But in redraft, these are the guys that I'm going to pound. I'm going to go after, um, you know, we know also that there's cuts. Like you said, we're recording this on August 22nd. So we don't know who's like on the team or anything, but we know that there's going to be cuts and Rasheed rice is not going to be cut, right? Like we at least know, that he's going to be on the roster once the season begins, um, which is another plus for him, at least from like a best ball standpoint where you don't have waivers. Um, and, and then rookie wide receivers in the late rounds are really, really good bets, especially in the second half of the season. So I've actually bought into rice a good bit over the last few weeks. I thought that he showed pretty good yak ability in the preseason. Um, you know, again, there's a lot of bad marks to his analytical profile as a prospect. He's a four-year guy, non-power five, didn't really break out until mostly his senior year. He's like 20 and a half years old, his breakout. Like the the, the analytical profile is not very strong for Rasheed Rice. It's not very good. Um, but you have to be open-minded about your evaluation being wrong. And you're associating him in a from a redraft perspective. You know, there's not a big investment at all. And you're associating him with Patrick Mahomes on a depth chart that absolutely sucks, right? It's it's not a good depth chart at wide receiver. Um, so yeah, I'm going to throw that dart. I've been getting Sky Moore. You know, it's been harder to get Sky Moore with his, his price increasing, but got enough of him early on. Um, and then Kadarius Tony, I just have not been that in on. Uh, I was in on him last year for a lot of market-related reasons and what he did during his rookie season. But I think there's a, a decent chance that Kadarius Tony is just not like this full-blown, uh, full-route tree type wide receiver and that he, that they, that they do end up using him more in that, in that gadgety way, which can be fine enough, especially from a best ball perspective. I just don't know how easy that's going to be from a managed league perspective. So like best case scenario for Kadarius Tony is uh Percy Harvin's 2011 season where he Correct. scored eight touchdowns. He had 1300 right. yards. The issue is, as you well know, there have been a litany of guys who don't ever hit the Percy Arvin ceiling, yeah. right? Uh, right? Dexter, Dexter McCluster, uh, Denard Robinson, right? I mean, just all these guys who were like, you want to get them the ball because they're fast and they're shifty and, oh, they're punt returners and they do all this stuff, but they just don't. Cordero the intricacies, quarter, well, man, 
Except, except the issue, a lot of these guys are bigger, right? Tony is a small, I think Tony's listed weight is like 195. Yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. And that, but that's part of the problem too, is that like, I'm not an injury prone guy. Like I think that's mostly BS. And a lot of the doctors that we listen to say the same thing. Mm, but I don't know. What, not when a guy Tony. moves, yeah. When a guy moves the way that Kadarius Tony moves, I don't think that it's just some random coincidence that he's not been able to stay on the field. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot of validity to and it. And it's been that, the same injury. It's been the same injury. It's been the, it's the it's same been stuff the... happening over and over again because he moves his body. Like everyone talks about that whenever they see him in camp and stuff, how he's just different. He moves different. Yeah, he does. But that also hurts his body more than likely. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Um, late round wide receiver darts. Uh my favorite is uh, honestly t- two guys who I would have just absolutely hated in my road of his day. One, two, two Atwell. I do think he's he's a hard bet in manage leagues. I think he is going to be the gadget, Kadarius Tony end around sweep guy and the the nine route guy in the McVay offense. There are worse bye week fill-ins, and Michael Wilson might be the answer for. Like Michael Wilson was like this awful prospect. Honestly, he really was not good, but I do think he is going to earn a good bit of targets playing on the outside for Arizona. Yeah. I like, I also like Puka Nakua in, in LA. Um, he was someone who actually, you know, he had, he had unbelievable yards per route run numbers in college. Um, his overall market share numbers were not unbelievable, but he sort of comes to like a Robert Woods. Like I could see him playing that type of role in this offense um, and so I, I've actually gone after Nakua a decent bit. I mean, the Rams offense in general is the one where you're like, oh crap, I don't have a QB two slash a stack that I can really go. Oh, I'm just going to draft Matthew Stafford, Stafford and just get some of their wide receivers late. And so I'm fine with throwing darts at like Nakua two, two. I have some of, you know, I haven't been like overly invested in, in van, but it's fine. Like, I'm not going to hate anyone for that. Uh, and then Jaden reads the other one who I know goes a little bit earlier than, than a guy like Nakua, but I love Jaden Reed as a prospect. Uh, if you look at what he did when he was at uh, Western Michigan uh, as a freshman, he outperformed D Eskridge, which I understand Eskridge hasn't done anything in the NFL, but Eskridge was a junior and an NFL caliber player, which is really uh, valuable to, to look at and compare. And then he also, Jaden Reed had a better yards per team pass attempt rate during his freshman season than Sky Moore did the following season. You know, Jaden Reed had transferred to Michigan State, uh, but that just shows you that he's, you know, just from that context, he looks pretty good. And then one of his comps in my model was Stefan Diggs for, for Jaden Reed. Um, and we're already, already seeing him show out a little bit uh, in camp and in the preseason, he's going to play the slot right away. I don't think that there's, I, I think there's a non-zero chance that by the end of the year, we're looking at the target shares in green Bay and all of them are pretty even between the three wide receivers. A b- like bunch of dudes, bunch of dudes with 17 to 20% target shares. Yeah. Right. Right. And and look, I, I'm saying that as someone who's drafting a lot of Christian Watson, because I'm just recognizing the range of outcomes for a guy like Watson. Like if Watson hits a 25% target share rate, uh, he, he's going to, he's going to smash. He's going to be unbelievable, but there's a very real chance. That he's only at like 20% and that Romeo Dobbs is at like 18%. And then Jaden Reed is at like 16 to 20%, like in that range as well. Um, I, I just think he's a good player, Jaden Reed. So I, I'm throwing darts at a lot of that offense because I, I think the market is just kind of assuming that Jordan Love's going to not be that great, but there's an outcome here, similar to like Sam Howe. There's an right. outcome here where he's fine. And those, those, those pass catchers are fine. All right. Tight ends. Um, I mean, draft Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews. And then if not, like they're all the same dude. So just, uh, hope to get lucky, I guess. 
Pretty, yeah, pretty much. I mean, look, I, I told you at the beginning how I like have, have, have bought into Darren Waller a little bit more. I mean, in my draft guide, I wrote about this when it published back in June about how uh, when you get a tight end in the middle rounds, who's the first pass catcher drafted from his team by ADP, those guys smash at a much better rate and outperform ADP at a better rate than the alternative. So you get, um, you know, we had that with like Mark Andrews in past seasons. Uh, we have that this year, obviously with Darren Waller. He's like the lone middle round tight end for that. You know, there's obviously risk with his injury and his age and all that kind of stuff, but I've been buying more and more into Waller. Uh, I'm, I'm taking him over like Pitts and Goddard at this point. Uh, I, I, it's just, it's really hard to like be overly confident and optimistic about a lot of those middle round tight ends. So then you just go to the late rounds. And of course my guy all off season was Greg Dulcich. And now Adam Troutman comes into town and yeah. apparently is somewhat of a thing. So that's been uh, a little bit disappointing and depressing, but uh, I still think Dulcich with like a, a depressed ADP uh, is is worthy of a target. And then you get like, you know, the the Jake Ferguson's type, Ferguson types who uh, I think are fine to just throw that dart at. I'm actually cool with the rookie tight ends this year too uh, and Laporta and Kincaid because I think that they're uh, pretty unique prospects. Um, and we've still seen some rookie tight ends perform, especially down the stretch that they got as they get acclimated, acclimated to the NFL game. So I think there's a, a lot of good late round darts this year at tight end where if you don't get Kelsey or Andrews, um, you know, you should feel okay with waiting. I think that is, I mean, we kind of tell ourselves that every year, right? Um, yeah. I do. So again, it, it, it comes down to the context of your league, like Kyle Pitts. I really like in a lot of formats, uh, honestly in every format. But one thing I, I really like about Kyle Pitts is that if I am in, 12 team home league type stuff. It's like, okay, sure. Whatever. I will just not start Kyle Pitts because he's running 57% of the routes and you know, he, he can't get any targets or whatever. But I do think that, I mean, Pitts did have like one of the greatest statistical rookie seasons of all time. There's reasons to believe the Falcons will be a little bit faster, more pass heavy on offense this year. I mean, we'll see, like we can tell ourselves that about a lot of offenses. Like for me, watching the Houston Texans play in the preseason was a really visceral experience being like oh they're they're gonna be really bad you know like yeah. oh i'm excited about nico collins cj stroud might be good tank dell is fun and it's like oh man this is gonna be a freaking slog to watch um and the falcons might be a slog maybe they won't be but kyle pitts kyle pitts is a bet i i like to make this is very big in fantasy football but when the biggest reason to not like a player is emotional that is a spot i like to buy right and a lot of the people who don't like Kyle Pitts just have gotten burned by him and think he sucks. You you could argue when it's situational too that uh, totally like like you really should be focused on talent first and foremost. Now I say that while also not being very high on like the Buccaneers wide receivers versus the market, but like like I I do think you know so, like I've drafted a lot of Drake London this year. I think Drake London's a great pick, and I know that that's not a normal take because of the way that people view the Falcons offense. Um, but you know, this, it's the type of player that we should be buying period, like great peripheral numbers as a rookie was a great prospect, uh, has that, uh, you should see a really high target share. Um, you know, he's just the, the kind of player that we should buy into. And so I'm saying, all right, hopefully the situation from a passing volume standpoint is better than we're projecting. And so therefore he can exceed ADP that way. So I'm still, I still think that like going after a pits in certain situations and going after a London in certain situations, totally fine because you should be targeting players who are just good at football. Uh, that's something that people have, uh, Karine has said this, a couple other people have said this to me this offseason that actually with the market being 
so good and us having a better ability at projecting touches and more people drafting off projections than ever before that actually taking stances on being like, I think this guy's really good. So he can beat, because obviously if you think a player is good, then he beats his volume projection because he gets the ball more often. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, but what you're saying basically though, too, is that like you need to find different edges uh, within the game that uh, where, where you think that you can beat the market and, and the, the edge and projections is very, very difficult, but that's more so to me on like the player level and how we divvy up like target share and backfield share and stuff like that. Like when, when a, when a player moves teams, right. And you build a projection out and you look at the projection, the projection is not that different from analyst to analyst. It's just not going to be that different. No. Nope. Um, yeah, what will be, what will be different from analyst to analyst, in my opinion, is what we see at a team level and, and how, and obviously that, that spills into the projection in, to some, in some way, but what we see at a team level and how we're thinking about range of outcomes at a team level. Um, and so if you're saying I, you know, the market right now, like, like, again, I, I go back to Atlanta cause I just think it's a perfect example, but the market right now is saying that they believe the Falcons offense is going to be almost just as run heavy as it was last year. Because if the if the Falcons' offense were middle of the road in pass rate, even with Desmond Ritter, Drake London would easily be an early to mid third round pick, easily, right? Just given where yeah. like where like Chris Olave goes and stuff like that. I don't think I don't think he necessarily go in Olave range, but maybe right after that tier. But he's going often in the mid fourth, and in some leagues, I mean, he'll fall into like the fifth because people are very afraid of this Falcons' offense. But you have to think about it a little bit more abstractly and say. That's where the floor is at from a projection standpoint, because they're not going to get any more run heavy more than likely. And, but people were making the assumption that they will be pretty run heavy. What if they're just a little bit more pass heavy? Then all of a sudden he can exceed that expectation. So I think that the edge is really thinking more abstractly and outside the box about how these teams are going to operate. Similar to like Dallas and people think that Dallas is going to be super run heavy, but it's like, look at their personnel. The personnel says that they're going to be a pass heavy team. There's no reason to believe that they're going to run the ball into the ground. Not only that, they were pretty run heavy last year. Um, so I, I think looking at things at a team level can be really, really impactful too. I, I completely agree with that. I mean, getting things right on a team level can be some of your biggest wins, right? Yeah. I mean, because it just impacts, like if I, I, if you're Pittsburgh Steelers throw the ball 537 times and Kenny Pickett is, you know, a, a B minus NFL quarterback instead of right. a C minus one, that's a huge team level victory. I mean, that, that, that rises a bunch of guys. You know, Fryermuth probably scores like nine touchdowns in that scenario. Pickens probably has a breakout. Deontay Johnson. Yeah, I mean, Deontay Johnson's 2022 season is it's my most hilarious fantasy football season yeah, of all amazing. time. Like literally, Noah, I, I did this. I mean, there's been one other guy in NFL history who got over a hundred touches and didn't score a touchdown. It was a running back. Um, but no one has ever come close to 137 targets and no touchdowns. Like, yeah, it's he, crazy. And it, it's a record that'll never be broken. Yeah, yeah, it's great. But yeah, I mean, look, betting on those late round offenses, like the Steelers, like the the Commanders, I think are another offense that you can bet on and say, like, if those teams are 20% better than what the market is generally projecting, you're going to win a lot of fantasy leagues by investing in those in those offenses. So and, and and if you look at those offenses, the biggest question mark is the quarterback. It's not the the, the playmakers and the personnel. And so just invest in the talent at personnel and hope that the quarterback can, can follow. Yeah. Um, 
to other tight ends. Oh, Luke Musgrave. That's the only other guy I wanted to mention. My Re- model, my my ba- my model that's in beta mode for tight end loved Luke Musgrave. Like, loved see, it's so interesting because he was like, it's it's such a funny thing with tight ends where it's like, if you like them, don't go look at their college stats because they probably did absolutely nothing. And Luke sure. Musgrave was like, was completely that guy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a, an athleticism thing, but I mean, the model really liked Laporta and Kincaid, obviously, like like you know, elite elite prospects with them. But I remember looking at uh, Musgrave and being like, "Well, this is kind of strange." Um, and, and I mean, he 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 had a 91st percentile score, which is very good. Anything over the 90th percentile is great. Um, and it, a lot of it's because it looks at speed score, and his speed score was fantastic. His yards per route run was pretty poor, but his speed score was just there. And then the draft capital was decent enough. Yeah. Um. All right, man. I think that is a good bit of strategy talk on how to win fantasy football leagues in 2023. Tell the people about LateRound.com, the obviously the draft guide, but then also uh, what they can get in season and the podcast. Yeah, so LateRound.com, you can get uh, the Late Round Fantasy Football Podcast. There's a feed for that. I'm starting a new show within that feed called Late Round Perspectives. Uh, I'm, that first episode drops this week. Uh, but then the draft guide is something I'm selling right now where it's a lot of the strategy talk, a lot of ADP trends, like 85% of the guide is strategy stuff. And, and research and then the next 15 percent is like players to target players to avoid all that good stuff that you know some people would rather just look at that and i understand uh but if you want more like detailed nuanced stuff there's a lot of strategy discussion within the guide you can check that all out i have a patreon also but check it all out over on lateround.com beautiful jj thanks for joining us and uh we will be back next week everybody Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.